I am continuing in our sermon series called Growing, and today my sermon is entitled Growing in Grace. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about grace, and it's, it's something that, that we all hear about in church. We talk about it, but grace isn't a word that, that we use in our common, ordinary, everyday language. But I think for most of us, where we encounter grace the most is, is maybe through a song that I would dare say we're all pretty familiar with, Amazing Grace, right? We've all sung the song, and it's, it's a song that's cherished to, to most everybody. And because we're so familiar with it, I, I thought it would be a great place to begin as we talk about grace. Now, there's a story that goes with the song, and it's the story of the life of the person who wrote it. The person who wrote the song Amazing Grace. His name was John Newton. And not, not many people know about who John Newton is or, or his life. And you may not know his story, but as I share the story with you of the author of the person who wrote Amazing Grace, it, it might shock you to hear his story. John Newton's life story is a story of a person that is deeply broken, deeply shameful, and dare I say, deeply sinful. Tragically, at just the tender age of seven, John Newton's mother passed away. John Newton's mother was the life and the light in his life. She was the example of Jesus to him. And her prayer for John was for one day for him to grow up to be a preacher. But tragically, at the age of seven, John Newton's mother passed away. Tragically. And that meant that John was left to grow up with his dad. And his dad was the captain of a boat, a cargo ship in England. And that cargo ship uh, was the office for John Newton's dad that he went to every day. And now, raising his son, he brought his son with him to work because what else do you do with a young child? And the boat and the ports and the harbors in those days, they were not places where you would bring a young child to work. And as a result of it, those those sinful influences obviously began to impact the life of this little boy that grew up in the shadow of his dad there on the boats, traveling from port to port. And those negative, dare I say negative, that's just a weak word for awful influences in his life, continued to mount, and in doing so, his relationship with his father was impacted by that. They didn't have a close relationship to begin with, and it became estranged even more. John Newton was a child that his dad struggled to raise. And so, as a result of that, <laughs> at just the tender age of 11, John Newton was forced to enlist in the British Royal Navy. At 11, 
this was in the 1700s, so, you know, I guess they could do that in those days. But being the young person that he was, angry, reckless, someone that was awfully influenced by the culture that he grew up in, he was a terrible recruit for the Navy, as you can imagine. He, uh, he, he didn't live up to the standards of the British Royal Navy. He got into all kinds of trouble fighting at a young age. Dare I say, a, a young alcoholic. He faced terrible disciplinary action that was coming to him and he knew that it was going to be a bad experience for him. And so as a result, what would you do if you knew that you had a, 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 reckon, a day of reckoning with the Navy coming up? What would you do? You would do what John Newton did. He went AWOL. Absent without leave. He left the British Royal Navy, which is a crime back then, and it is today. If, if you've made a contract with the armed forces and you choose to leave without consent, you're done. You're gone. You are in, in trouble with the law. And so it wasn't long before John Newton was captured by the British Royal Navy. He was dishonorably discharged and his punishment, his punishment was that he was handed over to work on a slave trade ship that was bound for Africa. The conditions on the, the, that, that particular ship was horrible. It was horrible for the crew and for everyone else on it. Those who worked there worked long hours. There were no days off. And the crew that worked on the ship, even they were severely abused by the captain and the other leaders of the ship. Basically, John Newton was enslaved to that ship. And by this time, he was about 25 years old, working there for years. And John Newton's dad was concerned of him. And so he asked friends who were in the shipping business, if you ever see my son... Could you help him? And, and one of his friends spotted him. Saw John Newton in one of these boats, just broken, half the man that he was. And the friend of John Newton's father rescued John out of that life. But you know, John Newton grew up and all he knew was life on the ship. How to do anything else, he wasn't too sure of. That was his only trade and his only skill. And so... The only way he could actually make a living was to find work on another slave ship. And so he found work there and began to continue to work in that terrible, terrible industry. And as you can imagine, life on the open ocean is a very dangerous life. Those of you who served in, in any kind of maritime work in the Navy or the Coast Guard, you know that... The weather can get terrible and, and, and people who sail boats, they know how to deal with that. But sometimes it gets so bad that, that the weather is bigger than the sailor. And one of those times 
happened where the boat that John Newton was in, in a terrible storm, there was a huge crack and hole in the hull of the ship. And seeing the water rushing in, in the open ocean, with no land in sight, John Newton was pretty sure that he and everyone on board was going to die. And faced with that kind of crisis, what do you do? Well, you do what every person does in that moment. You turn to Jesus. And John Newton turned to the Lord, prayed and asked the Lord to forgive him and to come into his life and to be his Savior. And the grace of God met John Newton that day. The grace of God not only met John there, but saved the whole crew. They, were, they found something on board to plug the hole in the hull of the ship that stopped the water from coming and Not a single person died on the ship. Amazingly, the grace of God at work, powerfully. And you would think that at that moment, John Newton's life would completely change. That he would give his life to Jesus, and that's where the song Amazing Grace was written. That's what you would think, right? Well, if you thought that, you're wrong. Because John Newton went right back to being a, a deck hand on a ship and worked at it harder than ever before. He rose up in the ranks and after seven, several years of doing that, he was promoted to being the captain of his own ship. Now, even as I talk to you about this horrible story of this life, I cannot even begin to imagine what went on on those ships. The lives that were lost, the callousness, the hardening of hearts of the people that trafficked other human beings. It's, it's, I can't even imagine that. But that is exactly what happened. And somehow, this amazing grace of God that came into the heart and life of John Newton when he was crying out, thinking that his life was ending. That grace was a seed that was planted that began to take root in John Newton's life. And as a captain, overseeing the work that they did and the crew members and the human cargo, the grace of God began to break John Newton's heart for what he was doing. And little by little, his eyes began to open to the inhumane tragedy that was on board every ship that he sailed. And when his eyes were opened to the sinful and evil and inhumane treatment of other people, it weighed on him so much that John Newton could not continue any longer being the captain of his boat. I mean, think about that. You rise up in the industry that you are to the top of the heap and, and, and you don't want to do that anymore. And the prayers of his mother begin to bear fruit in his heart. And John Newton humbly 
and sincerely repented of his life and all that had happened that he had been a part of. And desiring not to go down that road anymore because that's what repentance means, right? Repentance means to turn in the opposite direction, to recognize where I was going and knowing that that's not where God was leading me and to turn my back toward it and turn in the opposite direction. John Newton left that life and and enrolled in seminary because he knew (laughs) that that's not where God wanted him and his mother's prayer was the seed that began to germinate and blossom and grow in John Newton's life. And after completing seminary, John Newton ended up becoming a pastor in Olney, England. And he was 39 years old at the time. And the transformation of John Newton's heart and life made him become a strong advocate and a voice for the abolitionist movement there in England. And as he pastored, he also wrote books and hymns. And in 1779, a hymn book was published by John Newton. And in that hymn book was the song Amazing Grace. Wow. I wanted to share this amazing story with you of this life of a person that we, we sing his song, but we don't know his story. And John Newton wrote Amazing Grace from a life that experienced the full measure of God's amazing grace. See, amazing grace is a beloved song that, that so many of us cherish. And the reason why we love it so much is because somewhere in that song, we can find ourselves and point to it and says, yeah, that's me. That's me in that song. And, and, and more than anything, John wrote that song for himself. Because in it, He testifies that he was a wretch. He was lost and he was blind. And he used that to describe himself. And sometimes I use that to describe me. And sometimes you might use those words to describe you. And when we sing that song, we resonate with the message there. But more importantly than than what describes John Newton or what describes us is what we love so much about that song. And the the word that describes God in that song is this beautiful, misunderstood word. Grace. Amazing grace. This amazing grace is the character of who God is. But what is grace? What, what What is grace? Like I said, we don't use grace Today, every day when we talk to people, it's a word you hear in sermons. It's a word we sing in songs. Do we understand it? How does it apply to my life? And how does it apply to yours? Because we ascribe grace to God. We pray for grace. What is grace? A good definition, as I looked through all of the books, and they all came to the same conclusion, The good definition of grace 
is God's unmerited favor. In fact, would you just say that with me? God's unmerited favor. That's what it is. God's unmerited favor. God's loving us when we don't deserve a bit of that love. That's, that's what grace is. And looking at John Newton's life, <laughs> not just his life, but his vocation, what he dedicated so much of his life to, I would dare say <laughs> that he was a part of something evil. Wouldn't you say that? That, that? that human trafficking in that way was just evil. And, and if, if he were living today, I mean, he would be despised and rejected. He would definitely be canceled. If he had a Twitter account, it would be suspended. And maybe he would be put in jail, right? I mean, seriously, he, it was terrible what he did. And so, in the midst of all that, this tragic life, God meets John Newton right where he's at. And you know what God does? God extends grace to John Newton. <laughs> Can I ask you this question? Do you think John Newton deserved grace? After all that he had done, the lives lost because of him? People in bondage the trafficking of human beings. This is what John Newton did. Did he deserve grace from God? I say no. What do you say? Honestly, what do you say? Of course not. But isn't that exactly what grace is? The undeserved gift that God gives, not just to John Newton, but to you, to me. In the church of the Nazarene, we believe in the grace of God. We surely do. And what I want to do today is just take us on a journey to show you what my sermon is about. How we grow in grace. You see, grace begins. Grace begins with God. And God meeting us where we are at. In the church, we call this provenient grace. Okay? It's a theological word that we throw around in church. But what does provenient grace mean? How does that come to us? Well, before John Newton took one step towards Jesus, before any inclination that anything was wrong in his life, God met John Newton right where he was at. The grace of God is this right here. It, it's, it's the grace that God gives us that precedes our repentance. It precedes our, our salvation. It precedes anything that we do as we try to even make our movement towards God. Provenient grace is the grace that comes before. Before what? Before everything that God generously gives to us. You see, the grace of God was already extended to John Newton before 
the storm hit and cracked a, ho- cracked a hole in the hull of the boat. And what I want you to know, church, is that just as that prevenient grace was offered to John Newton, it is offered to you and me. God offers love and acceptance. You see, God accepts us just as we are. We don't have to change anything before God accepts us. But you know what, church? He loves us way too much to leave us that way. And that's the beauty of His grace. God's prevenient grace moves our heart to meet God's heart where it is at. We see it in John Newton's life. We see it in our own life. And if not for prevenient grace, no one would come to know Jesus. And we see this all throughout the Bible. God initiating the relationship with his people, drawing them back to himself. Romans 5.8, one of my favorite verses. God demonstrates his love for us in this, that after you cleaned up and got yourself perfect is when God sent Jesus to us. Is that what it says? No. (laughs) This is provenient grace. That God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners is when Christ died for us. Wow, that to me is something that I don't really quite get why God would do that. But that is his character, that it is nature. That, church, is prevenient grace. That God is reconciling people back to himself. Before I even took one step closer to God, he met me already where I was at. It's an act of love. And this kind of love, calls for a response. When somebody loves you that way, you've done nothing to deserve the acceptance and the love. In fact, the very things you did should repulse the person who is showing you love. But that love is extended anyway. There's a response that's called for. You can do one of two things. You can either accept it or you can reject it, right? We all have that option to accept or reject the prevenient grace of God. And when we accept that love, when we accept that grace, then we grow in grace in that the grace comes to us next is this thing we call justifying grace. It's a grace where our lives are impacted by the grace of God in such an amazing way that when we least deserve it, it is given to us. And John Newton accepted God's gift of grace that day on the ship when he opened his heart to Jesus and made Jesus his Lord and his Savior. And he asked for forgiveness. (laughs) Again, I'm going to go down this road again. Should God have forgiven a human trafficker like that? Should God have pardoned the sin of this man who probably because of him, many people died? That's a hard one, isn't it, church? But then I'll tell you again, that's the very nature of grace. That's grace. Remember? Unmerited favor from God. Do you deserve it? 
No, you don't deserve it. Nobody does. And yet, it is given so beautifully. Justifying grace is when God grants a full pardon for all of our guilt and a complete release from the penalties of our sins that we committed. And I, for one, thank God that that's available to me and to you and to someone like John Newton. And the only thing that's required of us, right, is that we have to have enough faith to believe that God can do this for us. That God can actually forgive me of my sins. All the things that I have done, the things that I have said, And when salvation comes, we seek forgiveness. And God freely provides forgiveness. And on top of that, we are adopted into the family of God. And we are offered this gift of eternal life. Wow. And the Apostle Paul shares this with the church in Ephesus. Hear the word of the Lord for that church and for us today. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so no one should boast. This is God's gift. It's free to you and to me. Now, again, did John Newton deserve this kind of grace? To be pardoned from all of the guilt and sin and shame in his life? It's a hard one. But he was. And that's a fact. That's the beauty and the nature of grace. And listen to John Newton's testimony when grace came to him. This is what he says. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. But now I'm found. I was blind. But now I can see. Wow. And this justifying grace ushers us into a new life. A new life that Jesus talks about in John chapter 3, verse 3. When he says, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Justifying grace is a new life for you and for me. For when we are born again, we are marked by God's grace. We are marked by, his, by repentance in our lives, by turning away from the past and bringing a new life that Jesus births in us. By God's grace, we are redeemed, we are forgiven, we are justified and adopted into the family of God. Hallelujah. Isn't that exciting? I tell you, I, you know, as I'm preaching this, so much things are running through my mind. The one thing that's a constant is, <laughs> I'm so grateful for grace. It's undeserved even for me. And yet, God gives it freely. And the beauty of this grace 
is that it continues to grow. It comes to us in provenient grace when we don't deserve it, when we don't even see it coming, and God gives it generously. And it becomes a justifying grace when by faith we turn our hearts toward Jesus and open up our lives and get receive a new birth in Christ, being born again, receiving all of the good things that God has in store for us. And can I ask you this one question? What in all of that? did we ever do to deserve it? Nothing. What did we give to God? What good thing did we give to God to deserve any of that? Nothing. And that leads us to this last part of the grace that I want to share with you. The beauty of grace is that it continues to grow in people. Provenient grace becomes justifying grace. But here is the beautiful gift that we can give. As we grow and mature, God leads us to understanding a sanctifying grace. This part of the sanctifying grace is the work of God that transforms us into people who live and act in the likeness of Jesus. Sanctifying grace comes alive in us through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit, setting us apart to be Holy people for the glory of God. Sanctifying grace is when we get to the place in our lives when we realize that it's not any more of Jesus we need in us. It's how much of us that we can give to Jesus that makes all the difference in the world. And when we are ready to give our whole selves to the Lord. God, take me, all that I am, every good thing in me and every awful thing in me, take it, Lord, I am yours. God takes that gift that we offer to him and molds us and shapes us and turns our lives to becoming the kind of people that he's fashioned us to be. Holy people, set apart for him, to be sanctified holy through him. And it is God that does it. First Thessalonians chapter 5, 23 and 24 says this, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Who would have thought that John Newton would one day be a man that was set apart for God? A holy person doing the work of God. And God desires that work to be done in us. And so church, what I want to close with is to let you know that from the growing of grace in each of us, right, there's fruit to be had. The fruit of grace is when the goodness of that grace that has been extended to us that we can take and then extend to others around us. That's the, that's the, that's the growth of grace that is so beautiful that when I have received forgiveness from God, what do I do with that forgiveness? Do I just keep it to myself or 
can I take that forgiveness and share it with those around me? When I have received mercy, when I have received a good word, whatever good thing that God has placed in my hands and given to me, I am the recipient of that grace. And the goodness and the growth of grace happens in us when we can become purveyors of God's grace to the people around us. William Wilberforce became one of the leaders in England in the abolitionist movement. His life was so transformed, so turned around, that now he advocated for the freeing of slaves in England. And he partnered with William Wilberforce and petitioned the British Parliament. And in 1833, they passed the Slavery Abolition Act that outlawed slavery in England. Wow! That is the fruit of grace in a person's life. Where grace has been given and now grace has been shared. That's John Newton's story. And you know, we, we all have a story where grace meets us right where we're at. Where we are transformed people. And as a result of that, may the grace that has been given to you be the grace that you share with those around you, that mercy and forgiveness and love can flow in you and through you and out from you to others. And it doesn't matter where you are, grace will take hold of you. And will, will you receive God's grace today? Will you be a recipient, no matter where you're at in your journey, to say, I need grace. I need it. And as God shares it with you, will you be a person that takes that grace and shares it with those around you? And I'm going to just finish with this last word. Next Sunday, when we gather together, we're going to be invited to come to the table to receive communion. We call that the tangible means of grace. And I pray that when you reach out to take hold of the broken body, and the shed blood of Jesus, you will be reminded of every ounce of grace that was offered to you. And you would take that and eat it and consume it and let it be a part of you so that you can be a purveyor of God's grace as well.